Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smolders. This is The Sandman, Issue 2, Imperfect Hosts. Welcome back. If you're reading along with us, you should have read up to Issue 2 of The Sandman. This is Episode 2. If you haven't been listening to us from the very start, you only have to go back one. But you should probably do that. We will be spoiling up to and including all of Issue 2. I actually have a lot of backstory of DC back info on this that, again, I didn't know when I first read this. Sasha has just read the comic for the very first time. Sasha, what would you think? I liked this issue better than issue one. I would agree Not that we're picking favorites. Yeah. Uh, This one, to me, was funnier. Yeah. And also it had 200% more gargoyle. Yeah. And I'm digging it. So, yeah. Yeah. I need me a pet gargoyle. And Loki's pretty close. Oh, yeah. Loki's he's pretty fairly, gargoyle. he's about as close to a dog can be to a gargoyle. He's like the dog gargoyle from the Gargoyles TV show who doesn't yes. have the wings. He's just the rrr, rrr, little dog. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. Bronx? Was that Bronx? I don't know. I think that was Bronx. I don't know. Disney's gargoyles. <laughs> I would Google it, but I'm not actually at a computer right now. They're sponsoring us. I wish. Gargoyles, please sponsor us. Well, please bring back Gargoyles. It's really good. Yes, please bring it back and then sponsor us. I think if you like the Sandman, uh, you should watch Disney's Gargoyles because there's some characters who we haven't met yet in Sandman who will show up in uh, Gargoyles. Not the same. They're mythical characters. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, though. Uh, Spoilers. Although, we have heard a line from one of them already. Mm -hmm. People will know who I'm talking about, I think. This cover, I have to admit, until we just sat down, I went, I don't know who that is on the cover because I think that's Dream in the right. And so who are those two other people? Are they supposed to be dreamers? And I couldn't figure it out. I asked our librarian, Randy, do we know who that is? And Randy couldn't figure it out. None of the Googling that I had figured it out. And I sat down and I said, yeah, I don't have much to say about the cover, Sasha. I don't know who that is. And Sasha said. I immediately said, oh, it's... It's the maiden, the mother, and the crone. It's the three That's, witches, and I went, and they're all nestled up against each other, but they look like they've been cut out of out of page like different paintings. But it's obviously them. Style of art. I yeah. I, it, <laughs> my brain got hung up on on uh, crone being actually dream. Yeah, because it's kind of looks like white, you know, dark white and long faced and stuff like that a little. But you're totally right. It is. It is. the Yeah, it's, I think dream it's is a little tree. dreamier looking. than that. So uh, there you have it. Uh, the Internet did not help. But do, uh, talking with Sasha absolutely did. Do we know what the what the German is at the top? Has this been translated? I messaged my friend Lars and asked him for a translation of the German. Lars being German himself. And it says. The gothic type was origin and probably originally a letter type. That's why it is called the gothic type. (laughs) Wow. So a neat little uh, history of typeface. Yeah, it's gothic typeface talking about gothic typeface. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think Dave McKean was telling a joke. Uh, Yeah, it just shows you can write anything in a language other than English for English speakers and people will think it's something deep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Lars. (laughs) Thank you, Lars.
The information I did have on the cover is it is acrylic and oil pastels. And of course, the uh, shelves with the little knickknacks. This is like mostly things like there's a snake and mm-hmm. one of these looks like it's some like rosemary or some kind of herb mm-hmm. and and cinnamon sticks and whatnot, like potion making stuff. Yeah. So the summary of this issue. Summarize. Uh, Dream returns to his realm, the Dreaming. Welcome to the Dreaming. And finds it in poor shape after his absence. To restore it, he must retrieve his lost ruby, helm, and pouch of sand. He calls upon the Furies to tell him their whereabouts. After receiving a clue to find each one, he then sets off. So there's not a lot that happens in this. No, it, it felt shorter to me than the first one. Yeah, it took a few more pages to do things. When you look at that issue one, it really races through years and years and years of time mm-hmm. and gives you the feeling that it took a long time as well, right? Because he's talking about everything that Dream had to put up with. And his escape and vengeance only takes a few pages, really. What did you think? You like this one more? It's funnier? I, I agree. It's, it, it's funny. It's a bit it, funnier. It felt like it had more movement to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because it wasn't in the mortal world, because it takes place in the dreaming it felt like this was the medium in which it was supposed to be told maybe maybe because our main character in the first story was like literally trapped in a bubble we felt like that whereas in this one he's weak but he's moving through his world at least and so there's like that kind of aspect to it Mm -hmm. that that allows the reader to be pulled along a little more Uh, and it things move quicker your prediction for what would happen in this. Oh, he's. I said he was going to search for his items. Right. So ding, ding. I was right about that. It's true. And also that he would have hosts who were imperfect, uh, <laughs> such as Cain and Abel, who were his hosts. Right. I mean, they were actually pretty nice to him. They they, pretty, although they, they forgot to tell him like a pretty important thing. So <laughs> so they were imperfect in that way. I actually love that line. We haven't got up to it yet, but it's, it's yeah, you're referring to the, oh, should we tell him what's happened to the castle? He'll find out soon enough. Why waste time telling him? That's a storytelling dig. Oh, yeah. Of you show, don't tell, right? Like, yeah, you could have characters explain everything, but it's way better for the other character to go see it. So it's it's telling you how to write stories. I love it. I, I did. I laughed out loud several times while reading I this. remember. I had to go, and, what are you laughing at? Yeah, and Joe would want to know what I was laughing, laughing at every time. So page one, we again open with a house. This time it's the House of Mystery. Yes. Oh, now, he is open with a house again. Yeah, we've got a house. So here's the thing about Cain, Abel, and the House of Mystery. House of Mystery was a horror comic that started in the 50s, I believe. Uh, first published in 1951. And Kane has been the house caretaker and the host of the comic. So he was the one who, you know how the Crypt Keeper introduces, yeah. ah, now your story. He was like, I'm Kane, the able-bodied housekeeper, and look at this terrible story of woe, and introduced the stories. He was okay. Kane. It ran concurrently with another horror comic hosted by Abel called House of Secrets, which started in 1969. He started hosting House of Secrets in 1969, issue 81. So that had also been running for a while. And I've got some artwork of uh, some of their original appearances or earlier appearances. This one is, there's there's Kane from uh, House of Mystery, 1972. He looks the same, except the suit is better. It's like blue. Yeah blue suit love it and uh here's a an old shot of abel from house of mystery oh abel looks way more demonic like he's got the little he horns looks... in his hair yeah but he's yeah. always uh frightened and stuff like that yeah they are of course the first two children in the 
biblical story in Genesis, the biblical creation story, uh, in that story, Cain slew Abel over a disagreement over their offerings to God. Mm. Cain was marked by God and was sent to live in the land of Nod. In English, partly because Nod means sleep, to go to the land of Nod means to fall asleep. So Neil has taken that to mean, and I'm not sure if anybody did this earlier, but to mean that Cain lives in the dreaming. Yes. And that's why he's telling stories, because that's what dreams are. Dreams are telling you stories. Mm. And there are two types of stories, and this is established previously, at least by Alan Moore. A mystery is something that you can share with somebody, but a secret is something that you have to forget so that nobody else can ever know. Mm. And in a, a, an old Swamp Thing comic, somebody had met the two brothers and had been offered either a mystery or a secret, and so was given a secret, and it revealed this really cool secret about the Swamp Thing universe. The character woke up and wanted to tell everybody, but it was a secret, so totally forgot it. And couldn't, but that way the audience got to read it, but the characters themselves lost it. It's also an explanation of the two types of dreams where you have that dream and you go, wow, that was a weird dream. This happened. That was a house of mystery dream. Mm. But a house of secrets dream is, oh my God, so wait, what? Uh... Oh. So he's kind of playing with all those little things with these two hosts who are these existing hosts and a lot of that stuff was already there. But I think Neil's really stitching it kind of together. So they're horror comic hosts. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Imperfect hosts. My first impression from them was that they were uh, Wolverine's uncles. Yeah, their hair totally predates Wolverine. So Wolverine has their hair, although, well, in the the, the old Abels that I've seen, Abel tends to have little hair horns. Mm-hmm. Like they, you almost think, does he have horns? Because mm-hmm. they're drawn so graphically. In this, it's much more Wolverine-y, yeah. pointy up. But that's what... Uh, what Kane certainly had in those. Yeah, and Kane's got that like wicked widow's piece coming down yeah. on his forehead. I love it. I love it. Also, glasses. Bringing that up again. Kane's mm-hmm. got them glasses. I, I think Kane had them uh, in canon, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So here we are. We get to meet them, and they have a knocking on their door. Uh, yeah. Well, also we have to point out that it begins with Kane giving uh, Abel a a rumpled looking present, and Abel is not looking like he wants to open it. Yeah. Uh, Abel also has a stutter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if he specifically only has a stutter when he's talking to Kane, because I didn't think to, to consider that while reading it, but maybe as we go through this, we'll see. But he definitely has a stutter when talking to Kane, and he does not want to open this present thinking it's going to maybe explode. So <laughs> it gives us the impression. Also, we haven't named these characters yet, as when we're reading this mm-hmm. first page, we don't know who they are if we don't happen to know all that backstory. Right. They're just two like Wolverine looking dudes, and one of them is like really scared of the other one, right. and seems like the other one is trying to kill him uh this was an established trope that cain would kill abel and then abel would just get better all yeah. the time yeah this is established in the comics before neil for sure so um like prometheus with the liver like uh, yeah doomed to repeat the same thing over and over yeah. again but cain and abel they're doomed to be murdered by like for cain to murder abel again doomed and again to live their story over and over again yeah mm. So we have this knocking at the door and we get this interesting uh, look into how Kane moves. When you see him moving through the house, it's like he bends over and his front legs extend in front of him in all the scenes where he's moving, like he's walking around. It seems almost as if he's, I can't even describe it. Um, Like he's definitely walking feet first. Um. (laughs) Oh, he's like the keep on trucking guy. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's the 1970s art style. Yeah. And every time they picture him, he is very specifically walking in that way when you see him walking around. Right. It's uh, That is possibly a, a, a reference to another of their hosting duties. They didn't just host House of Secrets and House of Mystery. There was also a really weird horror, sci-fi, weirdness, counterculture comic called Plop with an exclamation mark. And both of them were the co-hosts of that. And they, Sergio Aragonés would draw them in Plop. Okay. The guy who did Gru the Wanderer and a whole bunch of mad magazine stuff. Oh, Sergio Aragonés, great stuff. So they have uh, the knocking at the door and you can see that it's this like big hulking monster with these spines sticking out of his back and, and these big wings. And they're, uh, they're arguing over whether or not who's going to open the door and Kane is like, it's Gregory. And Abel, Abel's like, well, what if it's just a big scary thing pretending to be Gregory? And as they go back and forth with this, Kane eventually uh, pushes Abel towards the door and makes him open it. And there is a big scary monster at the door holding the Sandman, uh, holding Dream. And the big scary monster happens to be Gregory their gargoyle, the first gargoyle from this story and my second favorite gargoyle in this story. We're allowed to pick gargoyle favorites, right? Yeah, you can absolutely pick favorite gargoyles. Mine is probably Goliath. Oh, I don't think I've met Goliath yet. No, from uh, the gargoyles. Disney's oh. gargoyles. Goliath, <laughs> okay, we've talked about this before. We have, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so my second favorite gargoyle shows up. His name is Gregory, which, by the way, is a great name for a gargoyle. Gregory, yeah. Also established, Gregory was... There was a House of Mystery story about a guy do, cursed to make gargoyles or something that would come to life. I don't know the full story, but when that character's story ended, he left Gregory behind and Kane kind of adopted him. Oh, Yeah, and that's been, again, since like uh, the 60s. Like, Gregory's definitely a big hulking monster, yeah. but he's also very cute. Yeah. Like, they gave him very human kind of eyes. Yeah, very and, expressive, happy face. And yeah. his teeth aren't sharp. They're kind of like just big. They look like horse teeth. Yeah. Um, and so I love him instantly. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so they bring in, and this is, I think, the first time that, that Sandman, when he's dropped on the floor um, by Gregory, Abel calls him the Prince of Stories. And I think that's the first time that we yeah. hear him have that name. We have a title for him, the Prince of Stories. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Dream lying in a bed, monologuing to himself After, about the darkness. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. It's Dream waking up, right? Where does Dream go when he's asleep? Yeah, that's, I don't know if I want to know. That yeah, sounds kind of breaking a little my too brain. meta for me, yeah. There's something for Neil to write about. And so Abel is here with him. He is actually stuttering, so the stutter continues, yep. uh, when, depending on who he's talking to. Uh, then a Abel is telling Dream that they found him in the shifting zones, uh, and he explains who the gargoyle is. And then Dream is talking about how he... He tells uh, them what happened. He's telling them everything that by happened. By telling a story. It was a dark and stormy nightmare. Right. So I think what this is, is so Dream's trying to tell a story, but he's so weak that he tells a crappy story because mm -hmm. it was a dark and stormy nightmare as a play on it was a dark and stormy night, which is a cliched way of beginning a story. Yeah. Uh, Dream's need for vengeance has cost him. Uh, and he even says normally he would not have even needed to travel. So normally he could just be there instantly. But now he has to actually make his way there. He's so weak. The and dream I, like I to used think... to bind Burgess in eternal waking used up the last of my strength. Yeah. Yeah. 
He hurt himself by immediately seeking that vengeance. He blew his load on the <laughs> vengeance, and now uh, he's okay. now he's in his little his little refractory right. period. Uh, we also get mention of the gates of horn and ivory here. Mm, yeah, and I have a little bit of information on that. True dreams exit through the gate of horn, and false dreams through the gate of ivory. This conceit dates back at least to Greek and Roman mythology, and the earliest appearance of the image is in the Odyssey, Book Nineteen, lines. 560 to 569 there penelope who has had a dream that seems to signify that her husband odysseus is about to return expresses by a play on words her conviction that the dream is false and the reason is because in greek the word for horn is similar to that for fulfill and the word for ivory is similar to that for deceive Mm. Uh, on the basis of that play on words true dreams are spoken of as coming through the gates of horn and false dreams through ivory I really like it as kind of a metaphor of for people who think, oh, dreams are telling you something. I think sometimes that's true. And other times dreams are really big liars, right? It's just random. Sometimes you can take that dream and and make it useful. And sometimes it's just a bunch of nonsense that you should ignore. And you'll never know which is which. So I like to keep the gates of uh, horn and ivory in mind. So uh, now that... Uh, dreams moody uh, monologue is over yeah. um abel has left the room kane comes in he's made him a, a delicious meal and he's bringing it to him and, and meanwhile calls in the, him oh he yes he calls him uh your highness prince morpheus prince morpheus the aforementioned greek god of dreams mm-hmm. uh for whom morphine was named uh also feeling a little bit of a matrix uh, connection here. Oh, the Matrix was made after this. Oh, no, me. I'm just saying that like when they chose Morpheus's name was a little on the nose yeah. with the whole Matrix yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, in the background of this scene, Abel appears to be a portrait. Yeah. Uh, and then he leans out of the portrait to speak because Dream is asking Kane if he has anything that Dream created mm-hmm. because he needs to, I think, take back his energy or his essence or his creation. Yeah. The feeling we get is that he used to have like basically unlimited power and he went, Oh cool. I'll just make things mm-hmm. permanently. And when he did that, he took a bit of his unlimited power to make them. And now that he's super hurt, those little things are like little batteries that he can ah. get some of his power back for. Cause he's super, super weak. Because that's, that's the general feeling we get out of this. Because he poured so much of his power essence. into those three items into, that he yeah, no longer has magic items yeah yeah also kane mentions penny dreadfuls mm-hmm. those are a british term for dime novels cheap sensational novels of crime adventure or suspense mm. and uh those letters of commission are evidently new that's oh. something that uh, neil seems to have invented okay i actually really like kane's line here that's me, your worship, purveyor of penny dreadfuls, shilling shockers, blood and thunders, and first, is that first? No, yeah. Fust. And fust rate nightmares. I guess that's, he has an accent that I... I guess so, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the accent is, but whatever it is, whatever accent makes first sound like fust. So eventually in this panel, Abel climbs out of the portrait on the wall. And I just absolutely yeah. love, I love the fact that he's in a portrait on the wall and he climbs out of it. It makes me very happy. And so Dream then uh, takes some of his essence out of this scroll and... Smiles for one yeah, of the first smiles. times. Yeah, I mean, he smiled when he's getting vengeance. And he gets a twinkle in his eyes. A little twinkle in his eyes. A little twinkle. Uh, it's not, like, really that charming of a smile. I almost no. wouldn't call it a smile. It's like a 
It's a little creepy. It's a glower smile. It's a yeah. 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 Ooh. So meanwhile, we mm-hmm. are transported to Arkham Asylum for the criminally insane. I wonder if anyone's yep. heard of that before. Yeah. I certainly have, and I haven't read that many comic books. Right. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Arkham Asylum is the home for Batman's criminally insane enemies. Uh, it's named for H.P. Lovecraft's fictional Arkham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, an error on this page, actually. I don't know if you noticed it, and it's still in the Absolute Sandman. We've got a word balloon coming from the uh, the doctor there, and then it's passes over from panel three to panel four and it shouldn't that should actually be ethel's line in the second part of that yeah word yeah that is yeah very odd it hasn't been fixed yet mistake uh so she mentions her son dr destiny so this is Do- ethel first of all this is this, ethel from, this is ethel from the uh the the mistress ethel of Cripps, yes of the Ruthven mis- sykes and uh lord magus yeah joe knows everyone's names i am really thinking of ethel here as a maggie smith type she, I would totally cast her as Maggie Smith, yeah. um, as in Professor evil. McGonagall. Evil. Oh yeah, evil. evil. Well, I don't know, somewhere between evil and like cunning and all those things. But absolutely would cast Maggie Smith in this role, one hundred percent. She's got the look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her son, John D. Doctor Destiny, was a supervillain who originally fought the Justice League of America way back in their issue number five. He started off using a gravity controlling device. But from there on, he branched out into manipulating reality through dreams, first with a drug, then a series of devices called materiopticons. And his most powerful was a ruby materiopticon, which made him so strong that the JLA had to remove his ability to dream to depower him. Oh. So does that mean that, does that, mean that um, Neil Gaiman took... That original storyline where there was a ruby in it and then yeah. decided to write that in as a one ruby of the and things. dreams and reality manipulating went, oh, that's really powerful because. OK, so so when he wrote when he wrote. OK, I'm, I'm just uh, figuring out the timeline. So yeah. someone like someone like Neil would then be looking at these old stories and go, OK, I'm going to make that powerful device. I'm going to make that based on my character. In and, the same way he took the encephalitis lethargica thing that happened and wove yeah. that into a story. He's retconning. He's taken all this stuff from the DC universe and is weaving it into his Sandman mythology. OK. Yeah. I like that. That's great. That's why the dream this podcast exists is to start talking about mm. all of that cool stuff that, again, you don't need to know any of this. Neil has given you enough he's some kind of supervillain. that's his mother she's got some stuff from him right mm-hmm. we've got to figure out where the ruby is mm-hmm. and he's in arkham asylum and completely debilitated yeah even his his speech is in like scratchy kind yeah. of weird writing um that and it's an interesting thing about comics where pe- they decide to use different uh typefaces for different people's Different yeah. lettering for different people's speech to give you an idea of yeah. of who they are when they're saying it. Yeah. Onwards, we end up back with Cain and Abel, and uh, they are chilling with the gargoyle. They're like cuddling the gargoyle, and I'm really digging that. Um, <laughs> and Cain is drinking what looks like a Coca Cola and in like on an old glass bottle. I really like that. And it's when Dream is leaving them, and Abel is saying, "I feel like I ought to give you good advice." And could that be a reference then to the whole secret thing? Like Abel gives secrets to people or, is, or am I completely wrong? Yeah, Abel that? gives secrets. Yeah. But, but you have to forget them, unfortunately. But would that, that whole idea of him saying like, I have to give you advice, do you think, is that is that a callback to that or is that? 
I, I think it's mostly that Abel is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Abel wants to be nice and helpful and do things right. And Cain's kind of like lazy and is like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right? Cain's like they're both kind of weirdly creepy, not exactly good, but Cain's more evil. I didn't get the impression that Abel was not good at all. I thought Abel, everything about him has just made him seem this like sweet, abused man. Yeah. I yeah, but he also lets terrible things happen to people in his stories. But okay, yeah. well I don't know that as the reader. Yeah. He just seems sad and abused. He does, yeah. He's he's definitely the beautiful, adorable, hurt one in mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get the funny line of them saying, like, shouldn't we have told them about what happened to the castle? Yeah. And Kane is like, why? He'll find out soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, like, showing the idea of, like, well, why would we take the time to tell you a thing when we can just show just, you in the yeah, comic? Yeah, he'll see it. Yeah, he'll see it. And then we have the very ominous look that Kane is giving races now open your present which is this ongoing anxiety <laughs> for me i'm worried what's in the present i uh yeah i'm very curious and uh and i'm scared for abel i care about him oh so we finally see the gates of horn and ivory yeah these are some badass gates i gotta mm-hmm. say like these are absolutely out of like a metal and doesn't movie. he say what they're from he he built them one passes the houses of mystery and secrets old way stations in the frontiers of nightmare from there on one charts a course nightward until one reaches the gates of horn and ivory i carved them myself when the world was younger and order was needed i hastened to the gates the dreams that pass through the gates of ivory are lies figments and deceptions the other admits the truth no one guards the horned gate anymore i remember the ways of old once through it i can see my castle so the next page is we finally get to see Boner Castle. Oh, Boner. Alien Boner Castle. Alien Boner Castle. I, um, I got a lot of feelings about this weird, this weird looking castle here. It seems to mm-hmm. have uh, at the front of it a really large phallus. It has three testicles and a weird ropey veiny shaft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the head is, it's like, uh, it's... It's very alien. It's very alien. I, I I am uncomfortable and also a little turned on. So that's uh, I think that's, that's what Neil was going for. I think that's the effect that they wanted. Yeah. It's also completely broken down. We again uh, finally see some emotion on Dream's face here. Just aghast looking open mouth slack jawed that this would happen. And we uh, meet the character with the coolest outfit and coolest hair of this entire <laughs> issue. They all Lucian. like the pointy hair though. Oh yeah, pointy hair is obviously very important in mm-hmm. this uh, in this universe, and I'm down with that. But Lucian also is dressed like super fly. He's got like a little Bill Nye bow tie going on. He's got tails on his coat. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm really into it. So Lucian, like Cain and Abel, was also a horror comic host. What? And in this, you'll find that he's uh, Sandman's major domo. You'll notice that that he bows to to Dream, and Dream not only says get up he says please get up he's been very officious with everybody else and very kind of demanding and he seems to show a little bit more respect to lucian here lucian was the host of a comic called tales of ghost castle which ran for three issues in 1975 Uh, lucian was the guardian and librarian of an abandoned castle in transylvania though now it seems that that was actually dreams castle we see a lot of the damage that's been done here we we learn from him that he had a library and that it's disappeared 
Yeah, the books, the books uh, became blank paper, and then the mm. entire library was just gone one day, and he never found it again. Yeah. So not just the humans in the real world with sleeping problems, but the actual world of the dreaming with Dream Gun has completely fallen apart. <sighs> yeah, and uh, Lucian says it's been a strange century for all of us, and then he describes uh, a couple, a bunch of characters that... Th- at least I have never heard of before. Right. So, let me, um, so uh, if you want to get into who these characters yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. So again, this is called Imperfect Hosts. We've got Cain and Abel, who hosted House of Mystery and House of Secrets. We've got Lucian, who is the host of Tales of Ghost Castle. And now we talk about uh, the Raven Woman, who, uh, mild spoiler, because it's not really a big reveal, that's Eve, who is also a co-host of, of these comics with Cain and Abel. And had a little raven with her most of the time. Brute and Glob, who are mentioned here, were servants of the 1970s Sandman superhero. A Dr. Garrett who dwelled in dreams, rescued a boy named Jed an awful lot, and died an almost unnoticed death. He was replaced by Hector Hall in the 1980s, a dead member of Infinity Inc. So Brute and Glob are somehow connected to a superhero named Sandman that was operating while Dream was imprisoned. So we might hear from them later. The Fashion Thing starred as the host in the feature Tales of the Mad Mod Witch in a comic called The Unexpected, beginning in issue number 108. Uh, she was not allowed to take over the book the way many of, the, of DC's other horror hosts had been, though she was a consistent presence from 1968 to 1974. Here, Neil has her constantly changing with the times and gaining a non-changing name of The Fashion Thing. So she was known then as the Mad Mod Witch, mm. and now he's the, she's The Fashion Thing, and she was the Mad Yuppie Witch and the Mad Madonna Witch, so she changes as fashion changes. Okay. Does she always have an eye patch? Yes, she does always have an eye patch. Okay, because I'm liking that look. It's very Nick Fury. Normally, she looked more like a a witch, like that that old crone face witch with the eye patch, but then dressed up in the fashion. It was kind of weird. Okay, I like that a lot. And then we have Cain and Abel being mentioned again, and uh, Lucian says, they've always been weird, but since your absence... uh, that's probably a reference to their plot magazine hosting. And here I've got, here's some art of Sergio Aragonis art of Cain, Abel, and Eve. Oh, so, Eve looks very different. So it was a, it was like a, a comedy comic. It was like Mad or Cracked, right? Those, those comics. Okay. Yeah. Lucian says they've been getting weirder. The weirdness has been getting worse, he says. Yeah. And that's when we cut to Cain and Abel and... Abel has opened his present, and there is a large egg. And Cain very cryptically says, something has gone so wrong, and it's been getting slowly stranger. I've tried not to do it to you so much. So Cain maybe has been trying not to kill Abel as much? Maybe he's been trying to be nicer to him? I think that's what he means, yeah. Yeah. Do it is not sexual at all. No, no. no. Yeah. Um... And and then the uh, the egg cracks open, and out comes uh, my favorite creature so far in all of these comics. Uh, I've only read two issues, but this is my favorite character, uh, Irving, who is a little golden gargoyle with red eyes, and he's got the cutest little face, and I love him. And he kind of looks like uh, what's the name of the little bird in Snoopy? Woodstock. A Woodstock, yeah. He's a little like Woodstock. He looks like kind of like a Woodstock gargoyle. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and I love him. And uh, if anyone makes a yellow <laughs> toy of him, I want it. I want it. I want a stuffy of Irving. 
Abel names him Irving, and Cain does not like that, and he goes into a rage because apparently you need to uh, name your gargoyles with G names. Yeah, uh, that might be an unwritten rule from the old uh, House of Mystery comics, but we're not sure. Mm. Lucian tells Dream that he needs to summon the uh, fates in order to figure out where all his stuff is going to. Right. And once again... This is called Imperfect Hosts, and even though he's summoning the fates, The Witching Hour was a DC horror comic hosted by three witches, Mordred, Mildred, and Cynthia. Uh, Mordred is named for Morgane's son, which Neil kind of pokes fun at. It should have been Morgane, because Mordred is the guy's name. Morgane should have been the name. So he's also tied them together with basically a whole bunch of Mother, Maiden, and Crone tropes into one, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a common thing through multiple myths it seems Mm -hmm. and so i've got a quite a bit of a write-up on this uh here we go in greek mythology the three were known as the fates or miri named clotho lachesis and atropos each man's life was a thread spun by clotho measured by lachesis and cut by atropos They've also been identified with the Furies, although this incarnation is generally referred to as the kindly ones to avoid their wrath, which is why Dream actually says... For me, you will always be the three graces, ladies. And they're like, ooh, clever, because you don't (laughs) want to piss off the Furies, right? In the original Greek, the Furies are known as the Arrhenius, while the kindly ones are known as Eumenides. The Furies are named Tisiphone, Magera, and Alecto, if dream is the anthropomorphic personification of dreaming, the fates are the same for getting what you deserve, mm. right? That's kind of what their job is. Is like, oh, you made this decision. We're here to fuck you up because of it, okay. right? So that's they're kind of terrifying in that sense, right? It's not just I am fated to become great. Atropos is there at the end going, yep, and then I get to cut your cord and you're done, right? The three are also identified with a mother goddess form of uh, Hecate Triodotus, or of the three ways. In this form, Luna ruled heaven, Artemis or Cynthia ruled earth, and Hecate ruled the underworld. Hecate is more familiar to modern Westerners as a goddess of witches and black magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Romans knew the three as the Parquet or Fortuna. Again, the pre-civilization goddess worshippers followed the three as Juventus, the maiden, Juno, the mother, and Minerva, the wise old crone. Mm-hmm. And the Norse knew the three as the Norns, Earth, Vithandi, and Skuld, named after the past, present, and future in that order. Uh, in fact, the English word shall, for things that shall happen in the future, comes from the same root as Skuld. Oh. In Anglo-Saxon lore, they're known as the Weird Sisters, and Shakespeare used them in Macbeth Mm. to come in and, uh, you know, screw up that whole story Mm -hmm. or be the impetus for it. They also mentioned the names Diana, Mary, and Florence. That would be Diana Ross, Mary Wilson, and Florence Ballard, a.k.a. the Supremes. Mother and the Crone are also very important in modern day neo-paganism oh. and Wicca. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to kind of like be into that when I was a teenager because the sure. craft had just come out and yep. it was like really hot and all that. 
And uh, they're very important, like that whole idea of like woman magic and these are the three areas you'll be in your life and, you know, you obviously Mm -hmm. are like the maiden when you start worshipping and then the mother is really important and it like, it also makes the crone, it's kind of about like respecting your elders and recognizing Mm -hmm. that like women shouldn't disappear when they get older and it's all kind of wrapped up into that like female goddess worship stuff that modern Wicca is really centered in. Which is, witches, right? They are the three witches. So we've got over here on page 20. Is what I'm calling it anyway. The one thing I couldn't find out is she's they. One of them says you did. Did you help us against Cersei? And there is a Cersei in DC Comics, and there was a War of the Gods, and it had to do something with uh, Hecate giving her power and and her abusing it. So that might be the reference, but I'm not entirely sure if mm. that's what they're talking about. If anybody has a better idea for what that's supposed to be a reference to, that's one thing I couldn't find. Also, I want to point out that uh, on this page, they all are switching positions mm-hmm. from frame to frame, and they're, each of them is doing a different part of eating some weird uh, giant eyeballed creature. And I guess what they're trying to say in this is that while we see three separate people, they're the same person. Mm-hmm. So um, the crone will pick up the animal, and the mother will shove it in her mouth, and then the uh, maiden will will swallow, swallow and burp, and it's the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are just we're only seeing them separately because that's how we view them, but they yeah. are one person. Yeah, yeah, that's... and I like that a lot. It's a very clever way to to add some action to what's essentially a lot of dialogue, and also give you this real yeah. feeling of of non being centered. I think we're going to see a lot of fluidity of perception in this series as makes we sense. go on. Because it's about dreams. Yeah. I can We've see already that. seen uh, Dream himself appear as a cat. Yes. Bring back Cat Dream. <laughs> cat Dream may make another appearance. Cat Dream forever. So we find out where the three items are, or at least get some clues. And we meet the sexiest DC canon bisexual, which is Constantine. Mm-hmm. We get a nice shot of him smoking. Apparently that's a thing he does. He smokes a lot, yeah. I've only ever seen the Constantine movie. I haven't seen the oh, TV show yet. Yeah. I think I might watch it. But I like know who the character is from people talking about him stuff. He was created by Alan Moore in a Swamp Thing comic. So again, precursor to Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore. Alan Moore is the person who taught Neil how to write a comic. Oh. He loved comics as a kid and then kind of thought, oh, I'm growing up and out of this. And then ended up just catching a Swamp Thing comic uh, randomly and reading it and thinking, oh, this is really, really good. And then that got him back into comics. He went to Alan Moore and said, so how do you write a comic script? And Alan said, oh, well, why don't I just show you how I do it? And he said, look, here you do this and that and that. And what's weird about this is normally the way comics were written was the writer would just write the script of kind of what happens. Like generally they go here and then this happens and then this happens and -and so-and-so says this to them. But it wasn't even a lot of detail on how it should be presented. Alan Moore didn't like that he would write a story and a comic company would just throw the script to an artist who would then Mm -hmm. take that thing and just do whatever they wanted with it who would then give that to the letterer who would decide exactly what it was said in the word balloons. So he didn't like how disjointed the whole yeah, situation was, how he didn't have control over the entire control over it. process. So Alan Moore's way of writing a comic was, you go page one, panel one, top left corner, this, panel two, this, that, and he would very meticulously decide, and in the background there's this. And so to Neil, as a young writer, he was like, oh, well, this is how you write comics. Okay, And so that's how Neil writes comics now is very particular. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later he found out, no, actually, 
a lot of artists find that really weird that you do that, especially oh. the established ones. Yeah. So essentially, I, it's a writer taking much more control over what is being yeah. told. So it's not just the story that the writer is is uh, responsible for, but in this type of writing, it's also he's responsible for how the story is told. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Neil also likes to find out what the artist that he's working with, how they like to work. And so some of them have said, I want you to give me everything specifically. Others prefer him to just write a short story and go, let me illustrate it. Mm. But they're, but those are artists who are kind of known for that. We'll get to those stories when we get to it, okay. actually. That'll be fun. So we find out that Constantine has the sand, or he, or was, he was the last person to purchase to the purchase sand. the sand. Mm-hmm. And then a demon has the mask. Um, yep. And that the Justice League ended up with the ruby because of Dr. Dr. Destiny. Dr. Destiny. That's right. So uh, uh, as you might have guessed from the setup earlier uh, with me talking about the ruby materiopticon being his most powerful materiopticon that he was Mm -hmm. using to alter reality, that ruby was handed down to him from his mother, Ethel Cripps, Ethel D, and is Dream's ruby. And we get to see both Green Lantern and Batman yeah. in this. And their coloring is very much like this is the Batman of the gray outfit and the blue. And the blue, yeah. And everything. Very much is... the, yeah, the 19, it was the 1980s. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, or that was probably the early 80s when that comic happened. So that might be a throwback to that. Yeah. Although he's been that color in the comics a lot. The ears are pretty pointy. I know you can yeah. tell a lot about when a Batman is from yes. based on how pointy his ears are. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. John Constantine was created by Alan Moore in a Swamp Thing comic. He is an occult detective, kind of the world's greatest con man and able to, quote, make his own luck. So he's kind of a character that shouldn't be respected for being as powerful and dangerous as he is. But he is like he doesn't like cast lots of spells in combat or anything like that. He's not that kind of sorcerer. He can cast spells, but he tends to just get by on his wits uh, and his charm and his ability to con people mm. like he has and he can con demons like okay. he cons the con man because he's so good at what he does. Uh, he's also a bit of quite a bit of a humanist. He doesn't like that all of these occult things are messing in human affairs Okay, and kind of would prefer to live in our world where there isn't any of that, I think. And yes, uh, is in the comics a total chain smoker. Actually, there is a comic that dealt with him dealing with the uh drawbacks of that okay i guess we'll probably learn more about him uh maybe we uh, will see him further soon, on because i feel like th- he's gonna he's gonna show up i well, think you can look at the cover of number three right now uh, no i'm when we get to the end okay. everything in its order sure. everything okay. <laughs> um and so what happens next here the they, sisters disappear they, they disappear and, and he thanks them and they're like he we haven't helped you your troubles are only just beginning yeah and so after this, uh, he decides to, you know, he's going to go on his uphill quest. We're then taken to Abel, who is waking up broken on the ground. Um, he's been dead for a couple hours. And so he gets up and he's walking back to the house. So Dream is headed to the gates of Horn and Ivory. And he's planning to go visit Constantine, thinking, because I don't have all my powers, I'll go up against, you know, I'm not going to go against a demon. I'm not going to go against this whole superheroes thing. So I'll go up against Constantine. I mean, he's just one man. How hard could it be? What could possibly go wrong? And, you know, I think he's right, right? Like, I think Constantine's going to be really easy for him to deal with. I think that that's going to go over really, really well for him. Is that your prediction for the next, uh, uh, next yeah, issue? Yeah, I, I, like, 
So it may be Constantine, and he'll be like, "Give me my sand," and Constantine will be like, "Oh yeah, here." I'm kind of hoping they're gonna make out. Not gonna lie to you, I'm really hoping that uh, Dream and Constantine make out a little. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. I'm into that. Anyway, we have this final we have this final moment that was very sweet, oh. and it's Abel, and he's sitting on the porch of the mystery house, mm-hmm. and he has uh, he has his little gargoyle. Actually, I think it might be his house now, so that's probably the House of Secrets. Oh, the House of Secrets. So. Abel is sitting there on the porch of the House of Secrets, and he has his little gargoyle in his lap, and he's saying, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to call you Goldie after a friend of mine who went away, but I'll think of you as Irving, really, in my heart. It's a secret story. It's a story of two brothers, and they, uh, they loved each other very much, and they were always nice to each other, nice and kind and brotherly, and the elder brother would never hurt the younger brother. Never, and they lived together in the same house, and they were, they were very happy. I'm sorry, I'm not crying. I'm, I'm really not. It's just the blood, only blood. Anyway, he tells the story of he's telling the he tells he tells uh, my favorite little gargoyle Irving that he's he's going to call him Goldie, but in his heart he's going to call him Irving. Yeah, which is really sad. I'm sad for. For Abel. I hope that Abel's life gets better, but it probably won't. Goldie is named after the imaginary friend to whom Abel would tell his early stories in the pages of House of Secrets. Oh my gosh. Wow. I'm going to reiterate that if uh, anyone out there on the internet knows where I can get a little Irving doll, I need it. I need it in my life is real cute. And I he need would it. look pretty great as a little stuffed animal, yeah. wobbly necked. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I want a little stuffed animal of Irving with those mm. little red eyes because yeah. he's the cutest. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to straight up call him Irving. I'm not going to call him Goldie, okay? Because Kane does not have any power over me. And I'm just going to call him Irving. Okay. <laughs> You've been dreaming of The Sandman Issue 2, Imperfect Hosts. For links, images, and show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I'm Sasha Smolders. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>